like the rest of you to uh, open your Bibles with me this morning, beginning in Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. I mentioned to you last week that it was going to take a little while to cover these uh, verses in Isaiah because uh, the more I got into them, the more I realized that even at best, I uh, could not cover them uh, all in one message, these ten chapters. And there are at least uh, three themes to me that stand out in these chapters. One of them was uh, the intercessory prayer that uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago before our International Worker Conference. And then uh, this morning... These ten chapters are filled with verses about God's love for His people. They form uh, virtually another theme within these uh, ten chapters, and we need to give attention to those in particular. And then next week, we're going to look at the Messianic prophecies. These are the prophecies about Jesus that occur in these ten chapters, and there are many of them. And I I want to take this uh, time also to encourage you, if you have gotten way off the path in your reading, and uh, felt yourself lost, and uh, thought that it was hopeless to catch up with the reading of Isaiah, uh, okay, we're just in chapters 41 to 50. Catch up this coming week. Read through chapter 50, and then uh, 51 through 60, and then 60 through 66, as those come up in the future. That gives you a good uh, period of respite to sort of catch up and and get with uh, the messages, and uh, you'll be just fine as we continue to read Isaiah and study Isaiah together. As I bring some application from these chapters to us this morning as followers of Jesus, predominantly Gentile followers of Jesus, I want to uh, touch briefly by way of introduction upon different viewpoints of the church in Israel. Uh, There are those today who feel that the church has taken the place of Israel, that Israel and Judah have passed off the scene, and that the church uh, has become uh, the focus of God's favor and intention and blessing. And uh, as a consequence, Israel as a nation has no future. That is one particular viewpoint that is actually held by many evangelicals. I have some good friends who are uh, pastors who believe that Israel is done with. God's finished with them, and uh, now the focus is on the church. I don't think that we can extend the Scripture to support that, because there are many promises that God has made to Israel as a people, to the Jewish nation, that have never been fulfilled. And God is the God of His Word. He cannot break His Word and He can't lie. 
And uh, one of the things that comes through uh, the scriptures going way back to God's covenant with Abraham uh, is that God is the keeper of his covenants with us. If it were up to us, we would fail quite miserably. Um, we have a hard time keeping our promises. And uh, if it were up to us, uh, we would uh, be in big trouble because e- even just keeping faith with faith and our eternal life would be a, a difficult task. Paul the Apostle writes and says, I know and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed to Him against that day. God is the one who keeps covenant with us. And so God has made promises to Israel that He will honor. Uh, As Jesus said, not one jot, not one tittle. These were the tiniest characters of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, Not Be like our period and comma. Not one of them will pass away until every single thing has been fulfilled. So, I want to declare this morning on the basis of Scripture that God is not done with Israel. That the Jewish nation still has a future. That God will one day bring His people from the four corners of the earth and reestablish Uh, that Jewish nation, and uh, we who are the church, who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the Redeemer of Israel, will be a part of that inheritance. But uh, the church will continue to enjoy the blessing of God, even as He recovers His wayward people. And so when we look at the promises that the Scripture makes concerning Israel, some of them are very specific. They pertain to Israel. They are not for the church. They are for Israel in the future. And they uh, have a, a very specific fulfillment in the recovery of Israel as a nation. However... There are also promises which are made that are part of the character of God. They reflect His own nature toward His people. And they can be applied equally to the church or to Israel because they express to us the the heart attitude of God toward those who have turned to Him. Israel is a covenant people. The church is also a covenant people. And according to Romans uh, 9 through 11, and particularly in chapter 11, about the middle, 17 through 27 of Romans 11, we are told very clearly that we are branches grafted into the true olive tree which root, whose roots and foundation are in Abraham, who believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness because he had put his faith in God, not on the basis 
of law keeping. For example, Second Chronicles seven seven fourteen is one of those passages that we often quote and legitimately, if my people which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. This is a promise that was made to Solomon in the dedication of the temple for the nation of Israel. But there's a principle that is universal contained within that promise. That universal principle applies to believers of all places and all times. Whenever we come to our senses, if we are in a backslidden state and realize our need and turn to God in humble uh, repentance and seeking His face and praying for His blessing, that God will honor that kind of repentance and turning, and He will hear from heaven and forgive sin and heal us and heal our land, whatever uh, extent that may be. It could be a church, it could be a McHenry, it could be the state of Illinois, it could be the whole United States, if the people of God throughout this country would turn back to Him, then He could heal our land. God makes those promises to us. And I use that as an example because as we move into these chapters from which I have lifted some highlights, we find principles that can apply to us. And one of the things that I have been praying uh, as I have read these passages and meditated on them and want to bring them to you this morning is this. You may be here today and you may feel that you have backslidden to a point that your relationship with God has dried up. You may be here today and you may feel like you're all alone in the midst of problems that are overwhelming you. You may be here today and you may feel that you have failed God and committed sin that from your perspective really can never be forgiven and that God has turned away from you and you have no kind of relationship with Him anymore by His choice. And I want you to know this morning that God has a tremendous love for His people. And He has a love for you. And I want you to hear these words from Isaiah as having a direct application to you if you have at some point in your life turned in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ and trusted Him, you qualify as the people of God. 
And these promises and assurances are for you. In Isaiah 41, beginning in verse 8, the first one is, But you, my servant, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. When's the last time you walked outside and looked up at the heavens at night? You may not have done that recently because it's been cold. (laughs) But uh, have you ever looked at the, the starry expanse and thought about the immensity of space? Have you looked at a fresh flower and contemplated the intricacy. Have you ever really, really studied one? Um, I have some photographs that I made of uh, just the the little anther of a flower that was uh, magnified about a hundred times. And I can tell you that you can never exhaust the beauty and the the intricacy and the majesty of something so common as a flower that God has created. Um, I saw a nature photograph the other day of a raccoon. Uh, Most of us don't think of them as being friendly. Uh, They're nuisances. But uh, this photographer came home and found this little guy raiding her garbage can. And uh, she went out and took a picture of him and and he's got his paws up like, I'm caught, <laughs> I surrender. <laughs> and he's just kind of looking at her, you know, and he's got that fuzzy face and those amazing hands. That's the only way to describe what a raccoon has on the end of their paws, you know, their hands. They do amazing things with them. And I looked at that photograph of a raccoon of all things and I thought, God, you're an amazing God. And this little guy had so much personality. I mean, it was uh, clear he was interacting uh, with the photographer. There's going to come a day when all of God's creation is going to be friendly. And uh, we're not going to uh, have any fear of anything. But have you considered the glory and the beauty and the majesty of creation? Have you considered the the glory and majesty of our creation, our intricacy, uh, how we are designed? Uh, David says we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and that's absolutely true. We're we are amazingly constructed, and we function in ways that uh, virtually defy comprehension. Uh, All that medicine may know about the human body compared to all that there is to know would be like a thimbleful out of the ocean. Uh, So much of what we know is minuscule uh, in terms of what we don't know. And I give you that backdrop to just contemplate for a moment that the creator of the ends of the earth calls us friend. 
that we can go before a holy God as his friend and commune with him as a friend. Jesus said to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants. A servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've shared with you all the things that, that uh, are on my heart, and I have taken you into my fellowship. You are my friends. What is it like to be a friend with God? To literally have the creator of the universe as our dearest friend. He goes on to say in verse 10 of this chapter, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you feel inadequate for the task this morning? Uh, Do the pressures of life seem to overwhelm you? Do you feel like you're losing the battle? God says, I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will be there and help you. I will uphold you. God promises to be our helper in time of trouble. Verse 13, for I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob. Ever feel like a worm? (laughs) Well, we are. (laughs) By comparison, you men of Israel, I will help you, declares the Lord, for I I am your Redeemer. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Our Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, uh, is identified here with God Almighty. Uh, The deity of Christ is greatly supported in more than just a few verses. It permeates Scripture. And God says, I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Redeemer. In Isaiah 42, uh, beginning in verse 3, or verse 2, Behold my servant, uh, sorry, begins at the beginning of the chapter. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like a bruised reed? Have you seen reeds? by the side of the river or perhaps taking a walk in the park and you see some that are bent over because they've weakened and it looks like they're just done. God says, I will not break it off. Do you feel like a dimly burning wick? Uh, You know how a candle is when it's just about to flicker out? 
and you can barely see the flame and it's ready for that tendril of smoke. And God says, I will not extinguish that wick until I fan it into flame again. Do you feel like that? Do you feel broken and bruised and about to burn out? And God says, I will not trample you down or break you off or snuff you out. I will fan you to flame. I will strengthen you. I will stand you up. He will faithfully bring forth justice. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from prison. God is the one who stands at the intersections of life and holds our hand. Remember, those of you that have young children, you do that now. Those of you whose children are grown, do you remember doing that? Holding those little hands, you could get your hand wrapped around them. And if they start to dart into danger, you've got them. They can't go anywhere because you hold them. And you hold them up. I remember some times when uh, my kids would trip, but they didn't fall because I had hold of them. And they didn't end up on their noses because I was holding on to them. And then he says to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from prison. Do you feel like you've been locked away? That the enemy is gaining the upper hand and he has you in bondage? God will open your eyes and bring you out from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. God is faithful like that. We cry out to him and he brings deliverance. In Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord your Creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You ever had the experience of uh, being somewhere and encountering uh, someone of importance? Uh, or significance, uh, for example, uh, if I'm at council and I encounter the president of the alliance, and he remembers my name, do you know that feeling? Wow, he knows who I am. That makes me feel good. How about the God of the universe knows your name. He calls you by name. He knows who you are. He has a personal interest in you. And you know, when you think about our names, there's a lot of Pauls. In fact, in McHenry, I'm surprised at how many Paul Martins there are. 
I know that because if I go to the bank and don't give them my middle initial, they have to pick from six or seven. It's like, wow, where did they all come from? But you know what? God knows this one. He knows the name that goes to this person. Okay, it's Paul, and there are other Pauls. But I am me, and he knows me by name. He calls me by name. He has an interest in me. How many Johns are there? How many Herbs are there? Well, now we're narrowing it down a little bit. (laughs) How many Sylvias are there? (laughs) You know? But whatever your name, God knows you. And He knows your name. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Don't you know how significant that prophecy was to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When standing, refusing to honor the king above God, costs them a trip to the fiery furnace. When you walk through the flame, it will not scorch you. I suspect they were quoting that. Isaiah had spoken it by then. And it was in their mind, I think. But no matter, they were going to honor the Lord regardless. Do you feel like you're right up to your nose in the water? And another inch is going to be the end? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. God has promised to see us through. He has promised to go with us in every trial and every event. Since you are precious in my sight, verse 4. Since you are honored and I love you. I'm surprised and saddened by how many people come to adulthood and never hear a parent, it's usually a father, I don't know, men seem to have more difficulty with this, but they've never heard, I love you, from a parent. And as a consequence, they have a great deal of insecurity. They don't, they don't know where they fit. They, they don't know their stability. I've purposed to use those words with meaning 
often because they're significant. But how much more significant for the God of the universe to say, you are precious to me and I love you. Can you hear him saying that to you now? You're precious to me and I love you. Doesn't that do something for you? As, as I read through these chapters time and again, and I've read them several times, and, and I come to these kinds of statements, and they just give me pause, that God says, you're precious to me. That, that's a word that we don't use often. We tend to use it more in terms of sculptures and jewelry and art than we do in terms of people. But people are really the only ones who are precious. Precious has a quality about it that it's priceless. That it goes beyond valuation. And then God says, and I love you. You're precious, and I love you. What a, what a powerful statement from our God. In Isaiah chapter 44, But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen, Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Yeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, and they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, Belonging to the Lord. And I will name Israel's name with honor. Thus says the Lord, King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And there is no God beside me. I will pour water on the thirsty ground, land, and streams on the dry ground. Have you ever been really thirsty? Not just when you're sick, but have you ever been out and run out of water? And you're really thirsty? One time I was backpacking with a friend of mine in the, on the Appalachian Trail in North Carolina. And um, you can't carry enough water with you for days and days, so you take a couple of canteens full and you plan on encountering streams and whatever and when you get there you'll be able to use your 
special straining straw or your uh, chemical pill to put in it and purify it and kill all the critters that you don't want to see under a microscope in your tummy. And um, we had been delayed and we had run out of water and we were getting thirsty and we were looking at our topographic map and we knew there was a little rivulet of a stream at a certain point that we would reach uh, in a little while and we got there and we couldn't find it. In fact, it was uh, just a little muddier spot in the trail than the rest of the dampness. There was no running water. And it was like, oh boy, (laughs) now what? So we dug a hole, and sure enough, it filled with water and a few little crayfish and some other things, and it was uh, orange and muddy, and we scooped it out and poured it through some gauze and dropped an iodine pill in it (laughs) and drank it. (laughs) It wasn't too bad, and we didn't get sick either. But I know what it's like to be thirsty, not even parched. We could have gone a little while longer, but normally you can only go about three days without water before you're in really deep trouble. And so that was what we needed to meet the moment. Are you thirsty this morning for something other than water? Jesus stood in the temple and cried out with a loud voice, All who are thirsty, let him come to me and drink, for I have the living water. I will pour my spirit out upon him. Are you thirsty for God this morning? As David put it, like a deer pants for water brooks when heated in the chase, so my soul pants for you, O God. I thirst for you. I hunger for you. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on dry ground. If you feel dried out this morning and washed up, God promises to refresh you if you will come to Him. Is there any God besides me, verse 8? Or is there any other rock? God says, I know of none. He is the stable one on whom we can plant our feet and be secure. And then... He says in verse 22, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. This morning, if you feel that you have strayed from God and you're dry and you're thirsty and you don't sense His presence, He says, 
I have wiped out your transgressions. And like a thick cloud, your sins like a heavy mist have been removed. Return to me because I've redeemed you. Friends, the truth is this morning, if you have at some point in your life given yourself over to God, He has entered into a covenant with you. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit as the down payment, the deposit On your salvation, He will bring you through. He will see you to the end. And He invites you, whenever you find yourself in that uh, wandering wilderness that's dry and thirsty, come back to Me because I have forgiven your sin. I have cleansed you. I have washed it away. And you can come to me with boldness and find restitution, recovery, uh, replenishment. I will give you water, living water, that will meet your deepest thirst. Isaiah 46, to me, is a very precious verse. Some of you have gone beyond the stage of being recognized as a senior. You're moving along the path. And sometimes I see the elderly who feel like they've somehow been abandoned and lost. And God says in verse 4 of Isaiah 46, Even to your old age, I will be the same. It does not matter this morning how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've lived or how much or little you have left. God remains unchanging. He is what I've been describing faithfully all the way to the end. And as we like to say often in our office, God loves old people. (laughs) He does. He loves old people. And He longs for those who have yet to know Him to come in their latter years, and find Him. He does not give up on us. And if you know Him as Lord and Savior, He will be the unchanging One that will see you to the end. In Isaiah 49, some have said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. And God responds, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? You mothers can relate to that. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. God says, even if the nursing mom, the one who bore you, forgets you, I cannot forget you. You are mine. You belong to me. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. 
I wish I could read that. Your walls are continually before me, and you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. Did you know this morning that God has inscribed you on the palms of his hand? I'm known for forgetfulness. People in my office often offer to write things on my hand for me. (laughs) But I also got OCD and I don't like ink on my hands. (laughs) So, So I don't write on my hands. But God has written us on the palms of his hands. We are always before Him. He always has us in His mind. And you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. The Scripture says so many times, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. He will deliver you. He will not forsake you. He will answer your prayer. He will meet you. He will comfort you. He will strengthen you. He will abide with you. He will meet your deepest longing. Wait upon the Lord. That's not a a passive sitting there like a lump. That's looking expectantly to God. Waiting for Him. Waiting upon Him. Anticipating His call. And those who wait for Him will not be put to shame. Do you know this morning how much God loves you? These verses from Isaiah are verses that you can apply They're not just for Israel. They go to the very character of God and His love for His people. God longs to meet you. And this morning, whatever your need is, God promises to be there for you in that need. Will you turn to Him? Will you wait upon Him? Will you allow Him to meet you and to bless you? Father, I pray this morning that You would open Your Word to us and speak to our hearts clearly of the love, the everlasting love that You have for us. We are precious to You. And You love us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen.